and welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, listed in 2020 as number eight of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional. I am your host, Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert and author of Business Evolution, Creating Growth in a Rapidly Changing World. I created Scale Your Sales Framework to develop leading edge capabilities to secure, retain and grow key customer relationships for long-term value and partnership. Join me each week to learn from amazing B2B sales and business experts and influencers. Tune in for actionable insights and strategies. Are you ready to scale your sales? My next guest is Gert Schultz. Gert helps salespeople identify more sales opportunity to win more deals. He transforms sales teams from good to great. Welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Gert Schultz. Thanks, Janice. Delighted to be on the show. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I know we've we've um, connected several times and we don't live far from one another. So at some point we'll probably do a, a long walking chat. And I know that there's so much that we can can get into um, here. But first, I wanted to um, talk to you about the B2B sales. We've got a lot in common in terms of the clients that we work with B2B sales. But there's a lot that has shifted in the buyer's world. And so the seller's world has had to shift as well. How are you helping your clients to transform their mindset and the things, the the process, what they need to do? Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be a really long answer. I'll try to uh, to keep it short. But you know what? The focus has to be on the customer and on the buyer and the challenges that the buyer sees today. Um, imagine uh, if you are a buyer. Um, you know, it's so difficult to make a decision which product to buy from whom. The internet is full of recommendations. Uh, social media gives people lots of ideas. In the past, it was actually quite simple. You invited a few salespeople to your office, looked at their brochures, looked at their story, and you went from one of three of their products. That's so difficult now. And um, I help salespeople to understand this and to help buyers make the right decision. So uh, I think Gartner not too long ago published something about this is that buyers tend to want advice and tend to go with salespeople or organizations that have given them the best possible advice and help to make a buying decision. So instead of being focused on your product and on the benefits and the features and everything else, focus on the buyer. That's what I say to salespeople these days. So how does that process start to focus on, on the buyer? What, what do you mean by that? What do they need to do? First of all, what I see salespeople do more and more, which I recommend to them as well, is they do research on the buyer. Who is this person? What does he do or she do when they're not working? What's important to them? Have they published anything on the internet? Are they on LinkedIn? Have they got a Facebook account? Do they use Twitter? So you do this, you build this picture of not just the ideal customer that you'd like to talk to, you build a picture of the person that you're planning to speak to. And then the second stage after that is you've got to reach out to them at a moment where you think there's something of relevance in their conversation, something that's important to them. And we all know how it works on LinkedIn, right? Is you somebody makes a post on LinkedIn 
and then a salesperson reaches out to that person. I read your post about X, Y, Z. It would be great to connect. And you know that's how then the relationship starts to, to develop. But it is not about products. It's not about features and benefits. Of course, this comes into it later, but it's about building a relationship with a person who has a real challenge. The challenge for the buyer, Dennis, sometimes is not which product shall I buy? But my boss is on my back because I've got to buy a new product or my team is not happy with the products that I'm using at the moment. Now that's the bit you want to find out about. And that's what I recommend my students to do. So how, tell me a bit more about your process of getting to where you are now in, in your business. You know, you, how you kind of started out, what industry you started in and how you progressed. Well, you won't believe it, but I used to be a door-to-door salesman in my very first job. And I used to sell insurance, savings, and investments. And this is quite a while ago. That's why I learned door knocking. That's why I learned, if you like, you meet yourself many times in that sort of world. And uh, you learn how to sell because if you don't, you just don't succeed. Uh, But uh, to, to, to be honest with you, before that, I went to uni. I did a language degree. And uh, that, that put me actually in good stead because I found out that selling is also education. And if you have skills to pass knowledge and ideas and facts on to other people, that is a really important part of the sales process. I then uh, moved into training, sales training for an insurance company via Bupa and Autoglass. I eventually ended up at Thomas Cook, where I learned about foreign exchange and financial products. And my career from there on it was up until 12 years ago was uh, really in banking, in, in, in payments. Yeah. And, uh, you know, after those 30 or well, 25 years in corporate, I thought this is also now time for me to do my own thing. Uh, and uh, as so many entrepreneurs will say, this is something I should have done a, a, little, a little while ago. Absolutely true for me as well. Uh, but that's given me um, a great experience. And you know how sometimes you ask salespeople, you know, what's different about your organization or why should I buy from you? And my storyline really is that uh, if you're a corporate, you get my entrepreneurial spirit and ideas and pace. And um, if you are an SME, I give you the structure and the process and the systems and the analytics to make sales really work in your organization. And so my experience and and what I do now, they uh, hopefully are really well aligned. That's really interesting because of your vast experience of working in different industries and at different um, levels from really frontline door door knocking, you know, financial services and, and the like, depending on which client, what type of client, and even, I suppose, what industry you're dealing with, you really kind of tailor the way that you, you know, what you offer clients. Is, would you say that's true? That's what I kind of heard you say. Yes. You know, it's, it's um, and, and, and anybody who is in sales will hopefully agree with that. Everybody is different. Every need, every client has a different need. And, and uh, you know, you, you've got to know what you, what you can do and what you can't do. And you have to have a network if your clients ask you for something that is not really core to what you do, you know, then be courageous enough to, to introduce maybe another party uh, because uh, they, they will thank you for that and it's the best thing for them. But yeah, I've, I've been really lucky, Janice. You know, I've, I've worked for some really large organizations, uh, traveled the, the world, uh, and I absolutely love sharing some of that experience with 
the CEO of a startup that I work with at the moment, right? And he's asked me, Gert, I need to sell. How do I do that? Coach me into selling, right? And then the next moment, I sit with a large sales team, do a complete transformation program because there's a new product launch or the sales team has, has lost its mojo a bit. Or as we see today, you know, the environment of sales has changed so much over the last 18 months. So, yeah, that's great. And, you know, but uh, to be honest with you, if there's something a client asks me that I don't have competency on and um, or it's it's too big for me or it's too small for me, then I will let them know as well. Uh, you know, you got to be very focused on what you're good at. And um, I guess that's also something that I've learned over the years uh, myself. Yeah, it's interesting what you say in terms of stay in your, your lane. Know, know what you're really um, uh, good at, what your sweet spot is. I was speaking at the consultative selling um, conference last year and I was talking about um, becoming a trusted advisor and you picked up on this in terms of clients really want advice um, now. It's more consultative now. That That is the need. But um, what do you think to this um, stat that uh, buyers are two thirds of the way through the process before they want to speak to a salesperson. I've often heard that and I've got my views, but I'm interested in, in your view about that process and where salespeople will come in. Yeah, so that's a great question. The, the, the buying cycle is very different to the sales cycle, right? So the sales cycle is you, you, meet, you approach somebody, you do a fact find and all those great things. And then eventually you hopefully you win the business. But the buying cycle is different. And uh, I, I, I know the stats you, you refer to. And I think it's probably true, but it's, you know, uh, a little bit true or a lot true, <laughs> whether they may be a third in or maybe two thirds. I think buyers do search uh, the internet, but you know, there's something else. As a proactive salesperson, you've got to hover around your customer, even when they're not ready to buy. And whether that is through account-based marketing, marketing, whether that is through social media, whether you just are in touch with them every three, four months, give them a ring, be ready and be ready there for them when they have their issue, because they would not make a purchase but they, if there isn't a looming issue or a critical issue in their organization, the trick is to be there when that challenge, when that opportunity comes along um, for you to help them with their problem. So, yes, they may be two thirds down the way before they reach out. But when they reach out, you know what, as a salesperson, perhaps you're behind the curve. You should be there all the time. You should be there hovering around your potential customer and existing customer to be there when the need arises. And that means, you know what, that means making phone calls. It means reaching out to people. It means, in some cases, call calling. It means sending interesting information to them. It may mean a meeting and nothing much happened other than relationship building. Let me give you an example about, uh, about this uh, uh, related to COVID. So uh, my business had got a, ser a serious knock when COVID started, as so many businesses. So I, had need I needed to take time out to work out, well, what do I do? Because nobody wants to buy anything at the moment. In fact, what they need is they need support. They need maybe help, maybe just somebody to listen to. So my strategy was, first of all, to let people know that I'm here to help them, whatever. 
And um, you see the shed behind me. I built that shed during COVID to... Uh, to keep oh, I built mine as well. My <laughs> garden studio office. <laughs> <laughs> and it was great, you know, because it, yeah, it, it, it kept me sane. And, and also I was building something and it, it had something to do with rebuilding the business. And, and I did that and this building appeared. And then he, I thought, you know, there must be people around who have great ideas. I want to contact them, speak with them and, and share that with my customer group. And um, so that was, um, you know, a good six, eight months where revenues were really, really low, but I kept investing in relationships and uh, it, it paid off well, actually, in the end. But that's an example that buyers may make their mind up two thirds down, also may want to reach out to a salesperson two thirds down the road. But actually, in that period leading up to the two thirds, salespeople need to be proactive. It's one of my things, you know, you have reactive salespeople, proactive salespeople. Reactive salespeople respond to an inquiry coming in. That's great. Well, when I work with people, it is actually making sure that the inquiry comes in and don't be dependent on the marketing team. Do your own thing, reach out to people. Long yeah. answer, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I was thinking of, uh, I interviewed um, Julie Mann, um, a sales leader in the kind of SaaS space. And uh, she said that 40% of their revenue consistently comes from the um, uh, no deal clients or the, the clients where, you know, the nearly clients, you know, they took them so far and for whatever reason they fell out at, at the kind of last um, hurdle, not right now, no budget, you know, change in personnel. And, and they have a instituted, systemized nurture program because they know i mean 40 percent is a massive hmm. percentage of your annual revenue that comes from those clients and the way that she put it is that you know it's like finding a needle in the haystack you finally find the needle and what you do is you throw it back into the haystack you need to gather all those needles and nurture them and spend you know time and energy having a systematic process to nurture them and i when i do my training i talk about you know Going through, you know, if you do all the funnels and things, I think it's a spiral and people move down. It's not linear anymore. But um, when I'm training um, uh, people and modernizing the cell system, helping them to modernize, I say that, you know, five people, five percent of your hundred people you're speaking to will actually buy from you. And, you know, perhaps 20 percent won't ever buy from you, but the rest you know, maybe they will make, so let's say, you know, 80%, what happens to those people? Well, actually, out of that 80%, that's your next year's 5%, <laughs> or the year after's 5%, you know, so that, you know, this is, this is your business of the future. So once you start thinking about it like that, you think about, actually, I really need to invest in that 80% of people and continue to build the relationship. And here is the strategy. Um, so yeah, I absolutely agree um, with you. It's so important to continue to nurture and build relationships and stay front of mind of, of those people that you connect with and, and continue to build with the assumption that something's gonna happen when the buyer is ready, not when you're ready. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a great point uh yeah i work with a couple of SaaS businesses as well and yeah. uh one in particular you know the product is pretty complex and actually it's strategic product it's a strategic project pro product 
And uh, that means that there are many layers of decision making. And, you know, here you, you, you're selling to a board, but you'll never meet them. Yeah. And uh, the nurturing of the relationships with the guys and girls who become your your advocates uh, so that at the time when it does go in front of the board, you know, there are three or four people on the board say, yeah, this is something we should do because ABC. You know, that, 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 that's something that doesn't take a week or two weeks. That can take months, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But then when it works, it works well. And my last point on this was make sure that your funnel, whichever way you look at it, is absolutely chocker with the right opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, I, I used to work in prepaid cards, you know, when, the, when these cards came out where you just put money onto them and then you spend them uh, on the internet if you don't, first, don't have a bank account or you don't want to, your bank account details on uh, known on the internet so um, and I knew I need 15 deals in my pipeline uh, at any time my funnel had 15 deals and that was my optimum number less I wouldn't do enough deals too many I would not have enough focus on them it's no different to may I take you back to my my door knocking 23 doors meant one sale for me you know it's mm. as simple as that so yes there is sophistication but there is also effort application and, and knowing your numbers right yeah 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 so what is the practical strategy that you would offer uh, listeners to enable them to build the long-term relationships that we've just been talking about or you know enabling their buyers to buy what is the strategy be on the customer's side as simple as that you know focus on their world look at you know empathy empathize with their world, understand where they are coming from, because that's where the key of the sale lies. And, you know, I've been in so many situations where the product actually was secondary to the real challenge. Um, think about what your customer's world looks like, feels like, understand it. Um, there used to be a concept in financial services many years ago called know your customer, KYC. Mm -hmm. Right now, that is the best strategy I can give to any salesperson who wants to enable buyers to buy. Mm -hmm. yeah. I remember that in, in, I worked in financial service sales in the 1990s. Right. And yeah, know your customer. I remember that kind of brought back memories. <laughs> yeah, it, it, perhaps not the best ones, right? Because it's to a lot of us, because I, I was in financial service as well, you know, it was. Yeah. No, it wasn't necessarily the, the, you know, it didn't feel right, but, you know, doing a fact find and capturing key information, what the customer's after, and also getting to agree, yeah, this, these are my challenges. I mean, that's what I mean. You know your customer is, 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 is all that. Uh, understand where your customer is coming from and let them know that you are on their side. Mm. And that enables buying. You know, I've always seen that. Um, and and, the, and the, the other side of the coin is if you think about your commission check, and you think about you know, your revenues and your targets, customers feel that. They sniff it out. They hear it. It comes out in your conversation. No, take it from me. Think about them first and foremost. That's interesting because I think that you, you know, if you're a seller, um, it's very difficult for you to divorce your emotional attachment to the deal because you've invested a lot of personal not just physical energy into it how how does that happen that you can you know think well I've done my best whatever happens happens 
how, how do you talk someone around to actually doing that? Yeah, um, so this is a really excellent question we could speak about for a little while, but maybe just a few points. Uh, you're absolutely right. Emotion helps making decisions. En engaging emotion at the customer side, the buyer side, that makes that enables decision making. So uh, salespeople who are triggering emotion in their customer in that process are doing that uh, for the right reason, right? Because that's how decisions are being made. So that's one. But the other thing is the salesperson, this is what I say, yeah, as a salesperson, you must make every effort you can make in succeeding. But if then you do not win, separate the outcome, right, from your emotions. You cannot influence the outcome 100%, right? If you think that you can, you are 100% in control of the outcome of a sales process, you're always going to be disappointed, yeah? <laughs> but what you can control is the effort you apply, the learning, yeah? The techniques you use and, and, and the product knowledge you have, those are things that you can control. So control those and then believe that the outcome will happen. But you cannot, I mean, divorce yourself from the outcome. Just imagine Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen, right? They, these guys, they are right at the top of their game. One of them is always going to lose, right? Because only one winner, right? And so what do you see immediately after the race? They already process the loss and then they move immediately into analysis. Oh, well, in the first lap, this happened. The second lap, that happened. Then he did it. Then I did that. Then that was a good race. Didn't win. Next time, better. That is the way how you deal with that, right? Uh, so, yeah, just a few points on that. But it's, it's yeah. yeah you We're know. both F1 fans here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I yeah. love that analogy. But it's brilliant. And it's so true. And it's interesting when, when both of them started in their careers, that's what they struggled with. They were still, they'd be kicking the tires. They'd be, all the emotion would be coming out with their disappointment. They'd be blaming the other person. Mm. Now, as more mature um, drivers, it's really what was the part I played? You know, what could I do better? You mm. know, and that's exactly to your point. What you were saying is focus on the bits that you can control, the effort you put into it. And then after that, you've got to let it go because you've done your, your best job. So that's a brilliant analogy. I might just uh, borrow that from you because I'm an F1 fan. That was brilliant. Yeah. Well, it, it, yeah, it, uh, it's, it's the same with um, uh, you know, anybody who's really in, in, a top, in top performance. And um, uh, yeah, I'm a, an F1 fan as well. But you know, every time on the races or the interviews, I find most fascinating because mm -hmm. you, you absolutely see what we were talking about just now. You know, they process the loss, you know, they kick the tires, whatever. But then the interview happens and immediately the kind of logic comes back. Right. OK, I didn't win this time. Next time better. And then the analysis almost seems to be done seconds after the race and that's what i recommend salespeople to do so don't don't blame the customer for not buying right yeah 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 <laughs> understand why they didn't buy yeah. <laughs> so um if you're on a desert island on your own what would be the one thing you took with you so that would have to be my my piano <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
uh, I don't think uh, Lulu will watch my, my partner will see this interview, <laughs> but, but uh, no, it's it, absolutely the piano. Uh, I love playing, it's, again, something that uh, has been with me, uh, uh, you know, I can say as a gift, and, and I was always interested in the keyboard. My father was a church organist, and eventually a via church organ and the organ and some other instruments, I ended up... Um, uh, with this piano downstairs and uh, you know it teaches me something every day when I play and, and that's why I take it with me because uh, you never master it um, and um, every time I make a small mistake or a big mistake I, you know it just makes me cringe I continue playing but uh, yeah that's yeah I, I love music I love listening to tracks uh, on the radio take them apart put them together again play the tune come up with a new sequence. I love the classical composers. Bach is my absolute hero. I share the same birthday. That's a total coincidence, but I feel an affinity with the, the logic of that music and also at the time how that music was so different to uh, music that happened before. So if I get a chance, I play the piano, I play Bach, I play anything that has great sequences to it. Yeah, I, I love it. I really do. I wonder how much your, your skill in and love for the piano, the technique, the playing, the listening has actually influenced the way that you run your business or your personality. Is there a link between the two? Are there things that you've learnt in one space that has taken you through to another? Um. There are a few analogies. I think that you know, practice does make perfect. And um, I, I also learned early on that if I showed somebody that I could, I play the piano and show how easy it was, that uh, actually that's easy for me, not for them. And, and if you are into coaching and training and you show people how to do something, how to use a particular technique, then that example is an ambition. You know, thinking that that person will be able to do that as well without a lot of practice is actually, uh, you know, uh, uh, is wrong. Um, so I learned that for sure, that uh, just the fact that you're good at something and you share it with others doesn't mean that they get excited about it or they can do it. They need to put a practice in as well. And then the other thing is that, um, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a musician, uh, you have to be creative and you have to, I, I play with others, of course, from time to time, you have to listen really hard to the others in order to make good music together. And, you know, that's what teamwork is about. And I do like to share ideas. You know, I like to share in my work as well. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? Not that it's going to go somewhere, but it's just bouncing it off somebody else as you do in music and listening to each other is a, you know, it's, it's a great way forward. I've learned so much from other musicians. This is a tip. I don't know whether you're a musician or not, but if you play with others, always play with people who are better than you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, uh, you, you just don't really develop any further, right? So always play with people better. So if you want to learn about sales or you want to learn about account management or about customer success, d go to people who, who are doing it, who have a track record in it, yeah? Uh, don't try to reinvent the wheel or speak with somebody who's not very good at it. I think, you know, you're, you're selling yourself short if you do that. 
Yeah, and I think that's a great note to end on. Always learn from the best, you know, in every aspect of, of your life, whether we're talking about sales or if you're running a business, you know, or, you know, taking up a new skill, learn learn from the best. Yeah, great. It's, it's Well, you know, uh, people always ask me, you know, why do you call your business the best sales coach? And and I, and I say this, and it's exactly what you're saying there. I say this, well, being the best is, is an ambition. You never get there, right? But, but, you know, it's an ambition and, and, you know, you'll never know whether you were the best, but you aim for it. And, and funny enough, you know, you think of Hamilton and all those, the, the, the sports people spoke about earlier, they're aiming to be the best, but they'll never get there. Right? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for being a guest on Scale Your Sales podcast, Kurt. You know, Janice, it's been a pleasure. I, I enjoyed our conversation today. And I assume people can get hold of you on LinkedIn? Yeah, I'm there under my own name. Uh, and, uh, you know, the website is there as well, which is yeah. uh, the we'll best. We'll put all, all of the links in, in, in the show notes. So it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank okay. you. Terrific. Okay, good luck. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Scale Your Sales. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter, Janice B. Gordon, to comment and share. I'd love it if you would leave a review on ratethispodcast.com slash scale your sales. Please subscribe for more weekly expert insights to scale your sales.